On this prequel episode, we've got Return of the King follow-up polls, we're learning about stop-motion animation, and previewing Fantastic Mr. Fox. Well, welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. We finished. It's over. It's done. As we said, <laughs> Lord of the Rings uh, last week. And we have some opinions from our viewers, listeners, not viewers. I'm used to saying viewers because of YouTube, but listeners. Uh, so what did Katie, what's how the polls break down, shake down? Um, unsurprisingly, it went to the movie. Yes. Again. They've all won yeah. so far. Um, movie got the majority of the, bo- of the vote, both on Twitter and on Facebook. We did get a couple of votes for the book. Um, and I specifically implored again in those polls that yeah. if you prefer the book, we want to know why. We want to know why. We want to hear from you. Um, and we did get some good feedback on Twitter. We did. Um, we got good feedback from people who preferred the movie as well. Yes. Lots of people, just yes. not to discount those people. Um, but yeah, sorry, continue. Um, so on Twitter, um, at Harry Poppins. Mm hmm. Um, said I preferred the book just because I had movie fatigue by then. All of them are so long. Um, it is easy to pick up a book at any time, not so easy with a movie. With books, you get to absorb at your own pace. With movies, you have to absorb at the pace that's designated to you. That's a true fact. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. We got a counterpoint, not a counterpoint, but sort of the opposite point from somebody saying that they think it's a lot easier because it's only four. It's a long, and the movies are long. They're four hours each if you watch the extended edition. They're three hours if you don't or whatever. Um, But there, somebody, and I think that you might have that comment later, that... um, the movies, you know, are slog can be a bit of or the books can be a bit of a slog mm-hmm. to get through for some people. And so they prefer the movies because they can see the whole story in, you know, three hours yeah. or whatever. But you can't stop and start. You can, but it's not doesn't it, work the way a book does. Yeah. A book, I think, is a lot more conducive to like stopping and starting yeah. and putting it down. Yeah. Because that's how you read books. Is. That's yeah. not how you yeah. digest movies usually. So, yeah, it's an interesting point. Yeah. And the I mean, the movies are. They are long. I mm-hmm. mean, everyone that we watched, we took a break halfway through. Yeah, yeah they're four hour long. Again, the yeah. extended editions are four hours long, almost all of them. And yeah, and, and the theatrical cuts aren't much shorter. They're like three yeah. hours long. No. So, yeah. Um, and then also on Twitter, um, uh, at Shelby Suderman. Number one fan of this podcast, I would say. <laughs> be careful. Uh, no. Scarface is Scarface can be you. the number one fan of the YouTube show. <laughs> Shelby Suderman is the number one fan of this show. She reads and watches everything we do, I feel. That like. is true. Yeah. I see tweets from her about how she's reading, and she's always reading whatever our next thing is. Yeah, um, whatever we're doing. Whatever we're doing. Reading so, and watching. Yeah, no, that's yeah. a fair point. Um, but uh, she had some... Um, she said that she chose the book this time. Um, still love the movie, but um, picked the book, and she had some specific... Um, things that she felt were better about the book. Um, she thought the scene where they found Mary and Pippin at Isengard was better mm-hmm. um, because it's not immediately revealed that the Ents are there. So initially it kind of seems like these two little hobbits caused all of this destruction. Interesting. I didn't read it that way, but that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, to be fair, I knew the Ents did it. So Yeah, yeah that's it's yeah. hard to kind of divorce yeah. yourself from that. Yeah. Um, she said she also preferred the book's version of the Frodo Sam Gollum triangle. Um, I can get that. Which, when we talked about how it's kind of similar, but the movie 
takes it in a, a bit of a different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, she said that uh, she thought the movie was a little bit melodramatic and that the tension was better earned in the book with Gollum being a more competent murderer mm-hmm. than the extended payoff for Sam. Um, and she also preferred the gradual ending of the book, which I would argue that the movie also, also has, has a gradual That's one of the things ending. that I said the movie nailed is that <laughs> very gradual denouement yeah. that it does of several endings um, and wrapping all the storylines up. But she did also specifically um, the scouring of the, the Shire, of yeah. the Shire yeah. which I also would love to see in movie Again, form. Make that standalone. Yeah. That's the standalone. No, totally. That's that, screw the Hobbit. Yeah. We should have never made the Hobbit. Yeah. Hot take. Probably well, not that hot of a take. They could have made it. They, they could have made way it wrong. They just if you want to know how they made it way wrong, look up Lindsay Ellis's three part series on the Hobbit and why it was such a massive failure, because it's great yeah. and she explores it. No, the Hobbit could have been one movie. Yeah. Um and the scouring of the Shire could have been also one movie. Yeah. But. Um, so that was on Twitter. Um, over on Facebook, uh, we didn't really get anybody who had chosen the book over the movie, no. but we got um, a hundred percent movie votes. Yes, we got a couple of good comments yeah. um, about the movie. Um, Alexandra said um both the mo- the both the books and the movies will always hold a special place in my heart but if you had to twist my arm I'd ultimately pick the movies mm-hmm. um and kind of cited like um the score sets editing acting um with so much of it being like spot on yeah um but she said the score was what really puts Set it over apart. the top and I yeah. would tend to agree with that yeah um and then Joanna, I'm about to reveal your secret, Joanna. Uh, Joanna said, don't tell anyone, but I only read three-fourths of this book. (laughs) Uh. Yeah, so she said basically never really attempted to reread any of the Lord of the Rings books, but have seen all three movies and the extended editions multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then Jennifer had kind of a similar comment um, where she said... uh, for me, it comes down simply to this. I will happily rewatch the films often and any time, but will only begrudgingly reread the books. Yep. And I think I feel similarly I, about yeah. that. If you had to ask me, hey, do you think you'll ever reread these three books? I wouldn't say no, for sure not, but probably not. I would I would honestly probably say for sure no. Yeah, I, I would say probably not. Yeah. Um, probably not. I would, again, I think, uh, well, because eventually we'll do The Hobbit, probably, but so yeah. I'm definitely more likely to reread The Hobbit. I've always yeah. enjoyed that one more reading it, but yeah, I, I, I would Hobbit doubt that is, I would reread The these. Hobbit is lighter fare. Whereas if you ask me at the end of Harry Potter, will I ever reread Harry Potter again? The answer would be probably yes, at least once yeah. or twice yeah. over the course of the rest of my life. But, uh, you know, something like Lord of the Rings, where they are really great. And I totally appreciate them for what they are right. and for what they've done, especially for the fantasy genre. They're not always fun to read. No. And there's just so much more out there that I don't feel like I need to spend another X number of months rereading yeah. Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yep. I agree. I agree. So thank you, everybody, for all of your input. That was fantastic. The book uh, won out on all of our polls, as it did in our... Oh, the movie. Sorry, the movie won out. I don't know why I said book. The movie won out in all of our polls, as it did with us. Uh, but we had some some defenders of the books in there, which was yeah. nice to see. So thank you for all of that. And again, if you want to participate, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, uh, or Instagram. Facebook and Twitter are where we do the polls and where we read the comments from primarily. But you can get to those through our Instagram and that sort of mm-hmm. thing if you need to. So... 
That's that part. Let's move on. We have a learning thing segment. And since we're doing Fantastic Mr. Fox, we're going to learn about stop motion animation. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. All right. So stop motion animation. And a lot of this information is from Wikipedia. Turns out Wikipedia is a pretty good source. Especially for stuff like this that's, like, not controversial. Uh, Stop motion is an animated filmmaking technique where objects are physically manipulated in small increments between individually photographed frames so that they appear to move independently when the frames are played back quickly. Mm -hmm. So, uh, basically, in case you don't know how film works in general, a quick rundown of just how film works, how movies work. Uh, And now that's it's different and it changes when you get into digital and stuff. But it's still similar. Still very similar. The way uh, a video... uh, a film camera works is it's taking traditionally 24 pictures per second. So everything, when you're watching a movie, you're seeing every single second of film that you're seeing is 24 pictures stitched together, mm-hmm. run back to back to back. That creates the seamless, relatively seamless uh, illusion of a moving picture. Right. Stop motion is the exact same thing. You're doing the exact same thing, although yeah. it's almost always done with a still photo or still camera. Um, because you're taking individual still pictures, which is kind of what a video camera is doing, but it just automatically stitches it all together for you. Whereas a regular camera, you can do the exact same thing, but you then would have to stitch mm-hmm. them all together yourself in a time you can do again. It's yeah. possible. It's just way more time consuming. So film is like, if you have ever seen like a flip book. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, and then what stop motion is, is that every time in between a picture, you take whatever puppet or whatever thing you're using, and there we'll talk about some of the different types of stop motion there are later. You move whatever that thing is a little bit, and then you take another picture of it, and then you move it a little bit, and then you take another picture of it, and then by the time you're done, and you put all those pictures together mm-hmm. at whatever speed you want them, and we'll talk about what speed Fantastic Mr. Fox uses, because it's not your traditional 24 frames per second, uh, which is what traditional film is. Uh, a lot of TVs, 30 frames. Certain things are 60 frames if you want higher, uh, quicker, because your eyes can see much higher than 24 frames a second. Mm-hmm. And it's actually what gives film its kind of distinctive look that's different from television and and other like high-definition sports and that sort of thing. It's very complicated. Look up frame rates. I think uh, uh, Captain Dissolution has a really good, he's a YouTuber, uh, like a skeptical YouTuber who does like, he's a in his day job as a videographer kind of guy. And he had a really good video that he, I think he put out about frame rates. If you want to learn more about it, you can go look at that. But all that being said, that's how though, uh, stop motion kind of generally works. So an ungodly amount of work. It's an ungodly amount of work. And we'll talk about that a little <laughs> bit more later. Uh, the first instance of stop motion being used is credited to Albert E. Smith and J. Stuart Blackton in 1897 for a film called The Humpty Dumpty Circus. I believe it's a short film in which a toy circus of acrobats and animals comes to life. There's an image of this set and the characters, but I could not find any existing video of the short film, nor did oh. I, I. It's not on YouTube. And I looked around and I, the one thing I found said that all people all we had was this image of it. Hmm. Like an, and it may just be somebody took a picture of the stuff that they used in it, yeah. and, but the actual film the actual itself film is lost. Didn't survive, yeah. yeah. Um, but that was uh, supposedly the first one. Uh, stop motion really came into its own after the turn of the century, though. Uh, some prominent users of it. We're going to kind of run down here. Uh, French filmmaker slash magician and uh, star of this podcast, George Méliès, got a hold of stop motion and he used it uh, primarily in a number of special effects in his film. Uh, if you've seen the movie Hugo, which we have a quote from, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, the character that you're hearing in that moment uh, where he says happy endings only happen in the movies, that is George Millier oh. in the film. 
who is a filmmaker. Uh, his most famous film that most people have seen probably is uh, Voyage to the Moon or something like that. It's in French. I can't remember. Something Voyage de la Luna or something like that. Voyage of the Moon. Is that the one where the rocket runs yes. into the... Oh, man. Wow. Yes. So he was a magician. It's kind of like a stage magician, and he combined stage magic with film to create uh-huh. these very fantastical short films. Um, and some of the, a lot of his special effects he accomplished using stop motion. Hmm. Other ones are just like magic gags and that kind of, all kinds of stuff like that. But that, that was one of the things he did. Russian born, uh, but ethnically Polish director of Vladislav, <laughs> I believe would be Vladislav Star- Starovich. It's W's, but I believe those are V's in, in, in like Polish. Maybe. Anyways, Vladislav Starovich. <laughs> Starovich, maybe, uh, who was born in 1892 and died in 1965, started to create stop motion films using dead insects ah. with wire limbs. Later in France, uh, in his career, he used complex and really impressive puppets. His early works included The Beautiful Luca Nita in 1910, The Battle of the Stag Beetles in 1910, and The Ant and the Grasshopper in 1911, the last of which you can find on YouTube. I found it. It's wild. His movies are really weird because they're just dead bugs. But they're stop motion dead bugs. It's kind of cool. Like it, <laughs> they don't look as creepy as you would maybe uh-huh. imagine. Um, but the, the, I looked. At, I watched a little bit of the ant and the grasshopper, and it's it's interesting. So you can go check that out on YouTube if you want. You, you would have to search the ant and the grasshopper with the guy's name, which is like Vladislav. St- st- again, <laughs> good luck. We'll maybe post a link to it on our social. So this media. is all on Wikipedia, though. So if you yeah, really if you went to the if you yeah. went to stop motion. The Wikipedia article for stop motion, you could also find all this stuff. I didn't go anywhere else for any of this information. Uh, I, I went around and did some extra research on top of it, but I didn't pull any of these facts from anywhere else. So, One of the earliest clay animation films was Modeling Extraordinary in 1912. And Claymation, as it's now known, became probably maybe the most prominent version of mm-hmm. stop motion that we see in a lot of films. Although we'll, we'll talk about it. It's more complicated than that. Willie O'Brien pioneered the use of stop motion filmmaking in Hollywood for big budget films in the early 1900s, including The Lost World and probably most famously King Kong in 1933, Mm -hmm. which the ape is stop motion Mm -hmm. and I believe clay. Which brings us to Ray Harryhausen, a name that probably a lot of people are familiar with. He was O'Brien's protege, eventual successor in Hollywood, and he uh, created the effects for some of my favorite childhood movies. Uh, Jason and the Argonauts and Clash of the Titans are two kind of classic fantasy adventure movies, and they both utilize stop motion in Jason and the Argonauts. I think it's primarily the there. Well, there's a couple different. I don't remember which stories are which, but there's the skeletons are stop motion. Mm-hmm. There's like stop motion clay skeletons in one of them. Uh, Medusa and Medusa's head in one of them. Uh, all the snakes are like a stop motion animated snakes on her head and stuff that are really cool looking. Have you never seen either of those? No. Oh. <laughs> Boy, we're watching one of those. Just, I'm just looking at you blankly. Oh, <laughs> Jason and the Argonauts and Clash of the Titans from like the 1980s, 70s. I can't remember the exact decade. Um, I watched those a ton as a kid because my dad loved them, and they're they're fun. They're like just adventure action and fantasy movies. But yeah, they use a lot of stop motion, mm-hmm. and they're like traditional, the traditional like Greek or yeah, Greek yeah. stories. So here are some of the types of stop motion, and these all aren't necessarily distinct, but. Uh, the first one, cutout animation. This utilizes flat material like paper cutouts, fabric, photographs uh, to produce 2D animations. Maybe the most prominent example that in modern day that people would recognize of this style is 
South Park, mm-hmm. which eventually it, it became a uh, digital. So like it, they did it on computers, but I think initially it or not. I think I know initially it mm-hmm. was paper cutouts that they used to create this effect. And then they developed software to do it, you know, uh, digitally, but it's still the same style. Uh, second uh, type would be clay animation, which utilizes clay figures. Some examples of this are most of them. And when you think of like full stop motion movies, so uh, Chicken Run, the Fantastic or Fantastic Mr. Fox, Coraline, Paranorman, Marion and Max, which is a fantastic movie. If you've never seen Marion and Max, go watch Marion and Max. It used to be on Netflix. I don't know if it still is, mm-hmm. but it's so good. I cried. I laughed and cried so many times in that film. Maybe one of the like most underrated films I've seen in the last twenty years. Nightmare Before Christmas, A Corpse Bride, bunch of others, all of those claymation. Uh, stereoscopic stop motion, uh, and this is uh, stereoscopic. Basically, just means you're using two crank cameras to uh, create a 3D effect. Mm-hmm. Stereo, when you think of like a stereo in your car, uh, like stereo sound is sound in two channels, left and right. Um, stereoscopic camera or uh, in video is where you're using two cameras. You're filming with two cameras at the same time to create a depth to the image mm-hmm. that you can't produce with one camera. A lot of 3D they they do kind of in a post effect, but if you want really true, uh, like good looking 3D, they do it stereoscopically with two cameras. And the first of uh, all stop motion 3D feature was actually Coraline, which we watched. We didn't watch it in 3D. And then Paranorman is also 3D stop motion. And finally, go motion, and I'm sure there are other types of stop motion, but finally, go motion. This is a complicated version of stop motion. It was developed by Phil Tippett, uh, famously of uh, Industrial Light and Magic and DreamWorks. This involves using a computer program to move parts of the model slightly during each picture, as well as having hand manipulating the model in between the pictures. So think Hmm. about traditionally in stop motion. I'm explaining it. And traditionally in stop motion, you... Take a picture, you move the thing, you take a picture, you move the thing, you take a picture, you move the thing. The, the the technology he created is you take a picture, or sorry, you move the thing, you take a picture, and while you're taking the picture, a computer also moves the thing very slightly during the picture. Mm-hmm. And then you move it some more after the picture, and then you take the picture and it moves it during the picture so that you get this blurry motion blurring effect to it that looks more realistic than just the traditional because uh, traditional uh, stop motion can be a little choppy. Mm-hmm. And I think this is kind of a, a, an attempt to get rid of that choppiness that's in stop motion by having it move during the picture. At least that's what it seems like. Um, some uh, famous examples of this. It was first used in The Empire Strikes Back. So um, Now, I don't know if this is an example of this or not, but Phil Tippett, that's Jurassic Park yeah. guy, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. I, believe he, I believe they used Go Motion on... We talked about this in Jurassic Park. Yes, I talked yes, about Go did. Motion, we and did. I don't remember what we talked about it. Um, no, they didn't use it. Remember, they were going to. Yes, they were going to use it, right. but they ended up going with CG, a combination yeah. of full-on computer CG and the models. Yes, I know. I um, remember. But because they, they originally that. talked about that, they were originally planned on using some form of go motion, but they did use it in, I believe, the um, uh, they used it in Empire Strikes Back. I believe like the ATATs and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I'm also fairly certain they used it in uh, Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Um, but we can talk about that. So those are like four of the uh, kind of main types of stop motion. Some famous instances of stop motion to talk about. Uh, as we mentioned, King Kong 1933, Jason and the Argonauts, Clash of the Titans, the Rankin-Bass Christmas movies all use that. Yeah, so the, uh, Rudolph, Rudolph, Frosty. Not uh, Frosty. Frosty is traditional animation. Sorry, not Frosty. Yes. Um, Rudolph, 
Um, um, Year Without a Santa Claus. Yes. Uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Yeah. All of all those. Of those. Uh, Terminator uh, for some of the special effects. RoboCop, uh, very famously the... Uh, that one scene where it murders everybody. I can't remember. Or not, not RoboCop, but the other robot before him. It's been forever since I've seen RoboCop. But that's stop motion. Coraline uh, and all of Laika's work, including Paranorman, The Box Trolls, Kubo and the Two Strings, and their most recent movie, Missing Link or something like that, which I mm-hmm. haven't seen. I want to see it because all the other movies have been great, but we haven't seen the new one. Uh, Star Wars, all of the movies, Back to the Future, Nightmare Before Christmas, so very few or at least not a ton of movies are entirely stop motion. Again, you can probably name most of those and I've named most of them over the mm-hmm. course of this. But for decades, stop motion was one of the primary ways of producing special effects and thus it was pretty ubiquitous. So there's lots of movies where stop motion was used. The car flying in Back to the Future at different times is is very often stop motion mm-hmm. or some form of stop motion or go motion. Um, the ATATs walking in Star Wars a lot of times are stop motion and that sort of thing. So a lot of movies used it because it was a way to animate things before you could use a computer to animate right. things. Um, and then as we moved away from that and got into computer animation, you didn't need to use stop motion as much anymore. So it was it was everywhere for a long time. And there's lots of movies you can go back and look at and go, holy cow, that you didn't maybe even realize that that was stop motion. Because when it's done really well, it's not super noticeable. But there are some movies that are entirely stop motion and it gives you a very distinct look. Oh, and the other probably most famous <laughs> instance of stop motion is uh, Ben Wyatt's... Uh, Short film. <laughs> uh, I can't remember what it's called. Shoot. It's the, um, but the song is stand in yeah, the place where you the are. R.E.M. song. Yeah, the R.E.M. song. <laughs> it's called like Monday morning or something. Yeah. I can't remember. But anyways, look up uh, uh, Parks and Rec stop motion movie. That's a great little scene. Anyways, well, that'll explain how hard it is to do stop yeah. motion. Is it took him. He worked on it for weeks and gets about four seconds of a movie. So, my last question, and the last part of this, is what's your favorite full stop-motion movie, Katie? If you had to pick a full stop-motion movie, we've seen quite a few of them. Yeah. What do you think your favorite one? Um, I really liked Kubo and the Two Strings. That's probably mine. When we went and saw that. Um, well, yeah. I also have kind of a soft spot for Corpse yeah. Bride, actually. Yeah, Corpse Bride's good. Yeah. Uh, I think my favorite is either Kubo and the Two Strings, which I thought was incredible. And it that there's a whole other level of... of uh, complexity to that mm-hmm. that that is even not in some of the other movies but mary and max is truly fantastic um and i haven't watched it in a while we should watch it yeah because uh, again it used to be on netflix i have i watched it probably close to 10 years ago now but i i loved it um and so that one may be up there but kubo is is so is super yeah. duper good oh and my favorite rankin bass christmas movie is definitely the year without a santa claus i'm aware i've watched it every christmas with you for the past four years it's fine. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Sorry, Jenna. <laughs> Anyways, that's all we had for learning things with this film is lit. Uh, but yeah, go ahead and comment. Send us a comment or tweet or something. Tell us what your favorite full stop motion movie is. Or if we if it's one, especially if it's one we haven't mentioned. If it's something we don't aren't aware of. Maybe it's Fantastic Mr. Fox. Speaking of, let's find out a little bit about Fantastic Mr. Fox with the book facts. And so it begins. Welcome to the fantastic world of Mr. Fox. Woo! Should we dance? His life is fantastic. Pure wild animal craziness. His wife is fantastic. If what I think is happening is happening, 
It better not be. His neighbors. Not so fantastic. All right, I've got a couple of book facts. Not a ton. Um, you don't have a ton of movie facts nope. either, though. So, um, so Fantastic Mr. Fox, a children's novel written by British author Roald Dahl. This is our third Roald Dahl book movie adaptation that we've mm -hmm. done. Um, it was originally published in 1970. Um, the first paperback in 1974 featured illustrations by Jill Bennett. Um, later editions had illustrations by Tony Ross and then the iconic Quentin Blake, um, who did all of Roald Dahl's later editions. Yep. Um, in 1994, Fantastic Mr. Fox was awarded the Read Aloud Bilby Award from the Children's Book Council of Australia. Um, in addition to being adapted into this film that we're going to talk about, it has also been adapted for the stage three times, um, once as a straight play, once as a musical, and once as a an queer play? opera. Oh, what? <laughs> I was hoping they, were, they did the straight play. Let's do the queer version. Okay, a straight play for anyone who doesn't know is a play that doesn't have music yeah, in it. Know, it's I just know, the opposite of a musical. I know. Um, so a little bit about the background of how this book came to be. Um, so Roald Dahl lived with his family in a great Missenden, I uh -huh. guess is how you say that, um, which is a village in Buckinghamshire. Buckinghamshire. Um, and Very British name. I know, right? <laughs> uh, and their uh, house was surrounded by um, like wooded area and fields. Um, very like British countryside, mm -hmm. I would have to imagine. Um, and there was one particular tree. Very the Shire. Yes. Now, there was one particular tree that was known locally as the witch's tree um, that sat on a lane near their house, um, a lane that is also very British countryside. Mm -hmm. um, and supposedly that tree came to inspire um, this story, which was also supposedly one of his favorites. Um, so what the witch tree was, was a large 150-year-old beech tree, which is sadly no longer standing but the story goes that when his children were growing up, um, he would tell them that that was where Mr. Fox and his family lived in a mm. hole just beneath the trunk, which is where they live in this story. Mm -hmm. Cool. Those are some little bit of background on Fantastic Mr. Fox, the book. Let's talk about the movie. Ignore Incredible. I can fit through there. You want to know why? Why? Because I'm little. It's all about... Fantastic. You really are fantastic. I try. Fantastic Mr. Fox. What's this lightning bolt? This fence might be electric. Well, well I just hope it doesn't mean thunder, because I have a phobia of that. <laughs> fantastic Mr. Fox is a 2009 film written and directed by Wes Anderson. It stars a laundry list of mm -hmm. people. George Clooney, Meryl Streep, Jason Schwartzman, Bill Murray, Michael Gambon, Willem Dafoe, Owen Wilson, Karen Duffy... And more. Will uh, we ever escape Harry Potter? No. <laughs> no. Wait, was it Michael Gambon? I might have wrote that down wrong. You know, it was Michael okay. Gambon. Okay, yes. Yeah. For some reason, I was thinking it was Michael Caine in my head just now. But yeah, Michael Gambon. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of those are traditionally character, or uh, a fair number of those are actors that uh, Mr. Wes Anderson uses quite often. Mm. Jason Schwartzman being, and Bill Murray being two of the, and, and Owen Wilson. In everything he does. 
Joe Roth and Revolution Studios bought the film rights for Fantastic Mr. Fox in 2004. And then Wes Anderson signed on a couple years later. As he signed on as director with Henry Selick, uh, who worked on The Life Aquatic with him, as the animation director. Anderson stated that he signed on because Roald Dahl was one of his heroes. Originally, Kate Blanchett was to voice Mr. Fox, but she left the role for undisclosed reasons. Hmm. Not sure what that was. Hmm. But it would have been her again. We would have had Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. Yeah. Uh, so Henry Selick left the project. And now Henry Selick, he, I believe, directed The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes. Yes. And I believe he directed Coraline, potentially. But he well, he left the movie mm-hmm. to work on Coraline in February okay. 2006, and they replaced him with a new animation director. Um, Wes Anderson chose to record many of the voices outside rather than in a studio. We went out in a forest, we went in an attic, and we went into a stable. We went underground for some things. This was a great spontaneity. There was a great spontaneity in the recordings because of that. And the recordings, the voices were recorded before any of the animation was done, which is not always the case. Sometimes there's like a loose animation done, but I guess with stop motion, it's probably different. But like a lot of times in animated movies, they'll do some animation and then have them voice with it. It depends, but it's interesting. Uh, so Great Missenden, as you said, in Buckinghamshire, Fordville <laughs> upon Stratford, Von Avon or whatever, um, <laughs> where Roald Dahl lived, was the major influence for the look of the film, which makes sense because well, it was the major stuff influence. stuff that I added to the bottom of your notes is about that. Okay. Because well, it go. was on his website. There you go. Uh, Henry Selleck, who kept in contact with Anderson throughout the course of the film, said the director would act out scenes while he was in Paris and then he would send, he record them on his iPhone and send them to the animators. So that they could animate the scenes. He would go, I want it like this. And he would act it out and send it to him. CGI. So this movie, like we said, is stop motion, which Mm -hmm. means it's a bunch of miniature sets and uh, clay figures and and different puppets and that sort of thing. Um, And the sets are amazing looking when you look at the like behind the scenes footage and stuff, which stop motion picture movies. Whenever you look at the behind the scenes stuff is the most mind blowing, cool thing ever. Mm -hmm. Like and you see them when you watch Leica's films, a lot of times during the credits, they'll show you like them doing a scene or whatever. Yeah. Freaking nuts. But um, it's really cool. Uh, but so this movie only uses CGI in one scene. Now, there may be other arguable elements of CGI and stuff, but supposedly the only CGI they used was in the flooding scene in the Flint mine, which I don't know hmm. what that is or what that is. But, uh, so this movie was shot digitally using a Nikon D3. It offers significantly higher resolution, resolution than that of a full high-definition video camera. Probably at the time. I don't know if that's necessarily true anymore. Mm. But... Especially not of the Nikon D3, but I, 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 it was a still camera, which, again, when you're shooting stop motion is what you want to use generally. Uh, it was also, and this is what's interesting, it was shot at a frame rate of 12 frames per second rather than the uh, typical 24, which is what most movies are. And apparently this was so that viewers would notice the, the stop motion more hmm. so that it would look even choppier than like your traditional movie so would, it's would a style, it was a style, style choice. choice to just make the stop motion a- a- animation even more mm-hmm. um it's obviously going to be apparent but to just kind of to bring that out even more because again they're already it's already kind of choppy by the nature of the medium and by dropping the frame rate even more it it, it uh it, ex- it also brings it more in line with an actual picture book because you're you're seeing each frame longer yeah. than you would traditionally. So you get more time to look at every frame. Hmm. And a, uh, the movie is composed in its entirety of almost 56,000 shots. So it's quite so a few. So it's 56,000 individual pictures. Yeah, which is 12. Let's see here. 
56,000 divided by 12 is 4,666 seconds, which is times, no, 4666 divided by 60 is 77 minutes. So there you go. It's probably in that ballpark. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, during the making of the film version of Fantastic Mr. Fox, Wes Anderson returned to Great Missenden, which we mentioned earlier, um, and he stayed with Roald Dahl's widow, Felicity Lissy Dahl, who we talked about in previous prequel episodes, I believe. Yeah, I think we did. When we did uh, uh, Charlie and Chocolate Factory, uh, while he wrote the screenplay. Much of the film's art direction was was inspired by the house and garden where Roald had lived, and many of the scenes you will see in the finished film are based on places in the area, including the local pub The Nag's Head. Previously frequented by Roald Dahl himself. So there you go. Those are your book or movie facts. I've never seen this film, Katie. I'm excited. I I know I've seen it. I have zero memories of it. There you go. So I I Wes Anderson has uh, has has his has his things, but um, <laughs> uh, Wes Anderson so white. But um, I do enjoy most of his movies that I've seen. There's a a funness to them. Uh, Moonrise Kingdom, I thought was quite good. I, I like a lot of his movies, but anyways, uh, so I'm excited to watch this one. I've never seen it, and uh, should be fun. Do we know where it is? Is it available anywhere? Have we looked? I think it might be on Netflix. I think you might be right. That sounds correct to me. I feel like I've seen it recommended Fantastic to me. Mr. Fox. It is. Oh, it didn't show up. It probably is. I don't know. I thought it might show up in the thing. I don't know. Check out Netflix. It might be on there. If not, then sorry. If not, then maybe you could go and patronize your local library. Yeah, patronize your local library. Because they would like to see your beautiful face. All right. And that's going to do it for this episode. Until next time, you can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, so the Goodreads, Reddit, all those good places. Leave us a rate, uh, rating review on to iTunes or anywhere else you download and listen to our great podcast. Welcome to Surround. It's always, uh, it's always nice. It's always good. It's always helpful. So yeah, guys, gals, non-binary, and everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And, and keep, keep being, being awesome. awesome.